Would you like to live a healthier, happier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Vetter as he introduces you to cultures of health and healing. Get ready now to try out some healing beliefs and practices from far and wide. Here's the host of your show, Robert Vetter. Welcome back, my listening family. I'm lucky to be here for part three with Dr. Leslie Korn. We left off talking about this interesting intersection between traditional medicine and Western forms of understanding, including psychotherapy. And I'd like to use that for our jump off point in this final session where we explore your life's work. So, can you take us from where you were that time in that village to the work that you've been doing over the course of your lifetime, your, the professional work that you do and the ways that you impact a variety of different communities. Thank you for, for asking me about that. Well, as I mentioned, my work evolved in the village. I, it's really where I developed the craft of healing and then after the first decade there is when I felt like I wanted to satisfy that intellectual hunger and understand in different ways what I was doing. I think my, if I were to encapsulate a, a theme, I've been interested in the many languages of how we describe and communicate what we do in healing and to find some of the common links. And because I was so focused in the, the story of the body, really re revealing what, is, what are body symptoms and distress tell us, and understanding then what the mind is saying about that in words, the, the conduit for that was facilitating altered states of consciousness. After all, that's what I think true healing requires is entering into an altered state, but also altering the state that often uh, distress puts us into. I think, uh, so my thematically, I think about the role of dissociation and how dissociation is forced upon us out of a traumatic event and yet how managing and facilitating control over dissociation for healing is often the antidote. And so I've been walking this spectrum of understanding how the people I work with are often dissociated. They're, they're living out of their bodies. They're, it's not comfortable to be in the body and how trauma catapults consciousness just a little bit outside the body because it's just too painful. And pain, substance abuse, or in large part dissociative uh, symptoms. So my work in healing and in touch and in what then became body-oriented psychotherapy, I had a 15-year clinical practice of body-oriented psychotherapy in Cambridge, where I worked with people with dissociative identity disorder 
or people with both mind-body issues related to traumatic events, and particularly complex trauma, the kind of trauma that's prolonged, uh, that's insidious in terms of its effect on personality and ability to love oneself. And so that became much of the theme of my work is helping people gain control over the dissociation they were feeling. Now, my early work had been in vegetarian nutrition and herbs. And it, what was interesting, and I think I say this and share this with my, my mentees who I do, I do a lot of career counseling these days for people who want to do this kind of work and are not quite you know, knowing how to move forward. And I say, well, you know, I put together my notes and my books on botany and said goodbye to put it in the closet for 15 years, including the book I was working on that I'm still working on and traveled the path of psychotherapy and psychology, knowing one day I would come back around to foods and herbs and medicines, which was in many ways where I began. And so after a number of years, having a very uh, integrative clinical practice in Boston, Mexico calling me again, and uh, I knew I wanted to return to Mexico and reopen my clinic there, which I did. And this time I was able to then reopen with foods and herbs and all of my medicines along with the hands-on. So then over the years, I've really, my practice has evolved uh, integrating all of these methods. Um, when I returned to Mexico, I was funded to do a community trauma project and the clinic reopened and uh, we were able to do even uh, reach more people, do more things. Uh, we, we coined this term, and you'll appreciate this. This is what I'd call a fancy schmancy term called culinary pedagogy. And all that means is that people love to eat, and they really prefer to learn while they're eating. And whenever you want to talk about really important things like colonization and contact and the, the oppression of indigenous people, really you want to do it while you're eating some good food. So I then ran many, many years of seminars training health professionals using these kinds of methods. So teaching people how to cut banana palms and stuff them and recognizing that prior to contact, uh, people didn't have cows or cow dairy or even pigs. Those were brought over from Europe. So let's understand what's truly indigenous and endemic to an environment and the effects of contact on introducing foods that may or may not be appropriate. So there was a whole period of time of not only treating but teaching. And this evolved then into an integrative medicine practice with a specialty in mental health. And this is really what I've practiced for many years. And I would say the last 10 years or so, I've moved particularly into a clinical practice where 
I help people get off and stay off pharmaceuticals. Um, I have a, a pretty strong bias against psychotropic medication. I think it's best used in an emergency, uh, but for long-term treatment of depression and anxiety, uh, even I will venture as far to say bipolar and OCD, even psychotic disorder, um, we don't have very good pharmaceutical treatment. Um, and it, there have to be alternatives. And that's been the focus of my work the last 10 years is both treating people, but also teaching clinicians that there are alternatives to the standard way of doing things. And what is your work like now in Mexico? I have uh, really two integrated paths here. One is, well, before COVID, we, we run pro bono programs. I uh, train massage therapists here and we raise money to pay those massage therapists, train them in a variety of techniques to deliver both uh, therapeutic and medical massage to people with chronic illness, both in the city serving the underserved, but also in the rural areas. I've been funded twice by the Massage Therapy Foundation to do this, and we were just cut off from our project uh, during COVID, and we're just trying to figure out how we're going to regroup. Um, I continue to treat people here, but most of my work is done virtually uh, now, um, where I, um, both for people in Mexico, but also uh, people in the United States in particular, I treat uh, through distance work. And I've, I've always adhered to the Maid Marian approach with the people with money pay for my work so then we can channel it into our nonprofit pro bono work. And it's a, it's a method that's worked for us. Uh, funding, as you know, for indigenous organizations, I think in the United States is about one half of 1%. You well know um, the challenge of funding for indigenous organizations. So I've, I always tell my students that the best way to fund your, your passion is by either doing research and getting funding for it or, or uh, raising funds uh, or treating people who have a passion and an interest. And so that's really what my work looks like now. So you're working, you, you have patients that are both in Mexico that are local, as well as meeting with patients from the United States via Zoom or... Yes, okay. do via Zoom. And it, it's really um, mental health nutrition, as I say, getting people off of medications in using integrative natural medicine approaches. Uh, working with everyone from children to adults, um, and also training clinicians. I would say three quarters of my work now is I develop certification programs uh, that deliver continuing education training for people in mental health and nurses. We're just about to launch one on diabetes type 2, cognitive decline, and Alzheimer's prevention. And uh, my early one is on mental health, in integrative medicine and nutrition for mental health. 
th that one's 19 hours, it's all online, and the other one's 25 hours. And they all are organized around what I call the Brainbow Blueprint, the integration of bioindividuality. And this goes back to ideology, Bob, and you know this from your work. There's no one right diet for everyone. If I asked my Inuit patient to become a vegetarian, they would keel over and die. Their body needs the fuel of fat and protein very low carb. But if I work with someone from Southern India or the tropical climes who's more naturally vegetarian, they want a very plant protein rich diet. And so a lot of my work is in breaking down myths, breaking down ideology uh, that every field has um, to really provide a breadth of knowledge that's rooted in the science of culture, in the science of indigenous knowledge. And it's truly an art and science that should be valued at, at equal to or even more than biomedical science. However, that's how I bridge the worlds. I teach the biomedicine of how does metformin work or how we have absolutely no medications for cognitive decline that really work. And understanding how the natural world has given us plant substances. And not only for altered states. And as you well know, indigenous science of altered states is rooted in entheogens. Mm -hmm. And we have a resurgence of entheogens, aka psychedelic medicine. And so I also try to teach clinicians how so much of what we call natural medicine or integrative medicine is rooted in indigenous cultural practices. And we have to expand our understanding of culture and healing. Uh, that it can't be secularized and be effective. Well, maybe we could spend just a, a couple of moments, if you don't mind, talking about that issue of entheogens, because that is really, it's a hot topic right now, but there are also some major problems that are associated with it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think particularly when it comes to ayahuasca, mm -hmm. um, so I, I guess my question for you is, if these are valuable therapeutically, what is the upside and the downside to taking an entheogen out of the context that it was originally used in? Yeah, I think you've, you've identified the downside. Um, there are a lot of issues, and if we use ayahuasca as an example, for a long time, we've had, or, you know, what's called ayahuasca tourism. And particularly, I've, we haven't talked about this much in our time together, but I've been very interested in indigenous tourism and tourism as a, as a concept and how it brings problems with development. It brings both upsides and downsides. And there's a relationship between tourism and moving into indigenous territories where many of these plant substances grow, ayahuasca in particular, but not limited to it. So I think that opens up a whole can of worms in understanding the problems uh, that we're seeing. And it's not just limited to ayahuasca, we're seeing it up in Topeka, 
with the art of the indigenous peoples of the mountains of the Sierras. Um, we're seeing it, we certainly, if you trace back into the work of Wasson back in the the 50s and what happened with the uh, psilocybin mushrooms and the the you know Maria Sabina the Mazatec shaman who ended up saying my babies have been destroyed uh, by this and I do think we trample we trample on indigenous people's territories we extract their resources and we take what we want oftentimes and leave nothing in return. And so I think the whole area of treatment with psychedelic medicine or entheogens is fraught and has to be understood, let alone the one of the things I write about in my new book, because I've got a chapter on spirit plants and understanding some of these issues and the ethics of these issues, but primarily the value of these many plants that nature has given us is that we're seeing lots of rapes and assaults on these retreats as well. So we've got lots of challenges uh, to these practices. Um, ayahuasca, ibogaine or of iboga, there's lots of very specific issues, I think, that, that need to be understood and explored. Absolutely. and on. That's going to bring us very close to our ending, Dr. Korn. I, I'd like our listeners to be able to learn a little bit more from you. So if you don't mind, maybe you could describe, uh, give us some titles of your books and any contact way, any way that people can contact you oh. if they'd like to learn more about what you do and how they can learn from you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And let me just say how, how much I've enjoyed our conversation. I'm rarely asked many of these questions, so it's really uh, allowed me to think about things that are so important, and yet I don't often get to verbalize, so thank you. Um, well, my website is Dr. Leslie Korn, uh, L-E-S-L-I-E-K-O-R-N, Dot com. And we're about to, in the next few weeks, launch my educational site called the Leslie Korn Institute for Integrative Medicine, where we've got lots of courses uh, and trainings. And I've got a number of books. If you go to my website, you'll see under books, um, a number of books. My latest is Natural Woman. I've got a book, Rhythms of Recovery. I have a textbook, Nutrition Essentials for Mental Health. And for non-specialists, uh, I wrote The Good Mood Kitchen, Eat Right, Feel Right. And then I've got a couple of really my favorite books on medicinal plants of the jungle and a book, a couple of books on diabetes type 2. And lots of free resources, blogs, some free courses, and then some scholarly papers, too, on um, the kinds of topics that we've talked about. Wonderful. And I certainly encourage our listeners to contact you and learn a little bit more about the amazing work that you do and how uh, you do things that are of such value to both Americans who want to experience our own healing as well as giving back to the community that you find yourself in. And I, I, I have the, the greatest respect for the work that you do. And I thank you so much 
for sharing some of that with us today. Thank you. I've really enjoyed talking with you, Bob. I look forward to our next conversation. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Korn, and thank you, listeners. This has been Cultures of Health and Healing with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe and rate this show and share it with others. Until next time, remember, your health and healing matter, and you can find your own unique path to optimum wellness.